And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So the theme for this message today is fellowship restored, or the assurance of fellowship restored. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, I pray for um, Mr. and Mrs. Myers. I pray for their safety as they travel down here to meet with us tonight, and I pray that you'd bless them, prepare their hearts, and uh, minister to them so that they can minister to us. We give you thanks for everything that you're doing in and through their lives. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word, the preaching of your word to the hearts of your people. And I pray, Father, if there's one here today that's not saved, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that they would step out at the invitation, that they would come forward, that they would humble themselves to come and trust Christ before it's everlastingly too late. In Jesus' name, amen. So, verse 24 is a transitional verse. That means that John is kind of pivoting and he's going to head in another direction. And he's transitioning from what he had been saying and going into a new section. To summarize this verse, I've put it this way. We must keep God's commandments to have fellowship with God. We must obey God to have fellowship with God. Let me illustrate. A little boy was riding his bicycle furiously around the block over and over again. Finally, a policeman stopped him and asked why he was going round and around and around. The boy said that he was running away from home. And then the policeman asked why he kept going around the block. The boy responded, because my mom said, I'm not allowed to cross the street. So the point is clear. Obedience will keep you close to those that you love. And that's what God is saying to us in verse 24. So this message is a challenge to growing Christians to continue in discipleship by learning to obey. Learning to obey. That great old hymn, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I don't think there's ever been a better hymn written on that subject of obedience and the results of it. You know, um, Christians continue in discipleship by learning to obey. That's how we continue in discipleship. When you hear somebody talk about discipleship, how does it happen? We continue in it. By this obedience, 
And the obedience brings with it much assurance. Verse 19, shall assure our hearts. It brings much assurance in the faith. So there's two things that John introduces in verse 24 that I'd like to talk about this morning. First of all, John introduces the first reference of God or Christ abiding in, don't miss this word, the obedient believer. Verse 24, the first half. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. Now, fellowship is in view here, not salvation. They're two different things. Fellowship is our relationship with God. I'll, I'll elaborate on that in a moment. But that's our intimate, personal relationship with God. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me that I am his own. That's what we're dealing with. Obedience and what it does for our fellowship, that God abides in us. John's favorite word for fellowship in his writings, uh, in this letter, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, his favorite word for, for fellowship is the word abide. To abide. And John has been saying that God cannot have fellowship with a disobedient believer. It doesn't mean that they lose their salvation. It doesn't mean that they need to get saved again. It means that God cannot have fellowship with a disobedient believer. Do you ever wonder, why is Pastor John so strict about sin? Why is, uh, why is it that we have to hear so much about sin? Because we're missing out on a blessing unless we, we get this thing right. It's, it's got to be dealt with. It's got to be dealt with. Because there's an assurance that comes from this fellowship. There's, there's happiness that comes from this fellowship. There's joy. I, I want to see God's people. I want myself to, to really shine like we're supposed to. I want to see God's people really just... Uh, come and to be planted and to put down roots and to grow and to blossom. In order to do that, in order to do that, we have to deal with the issue of sin and of disobedience. And God cannot have fellowship with a disobedient believer. That's what he's saying. For example, take the marriage relationship. Take the relationship of a husband and a wife. You know, if they're not getting along, that relationship is hindered, isn't it? It, 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 it causes problems for their relationship until they resolve whatever that, that situation is. You know, I heard about a husband and a wife, they weren't getting along, so they, they bought a waterbed. Now they're only drifting apart. So sad. A husband and a wife were discussing the possibility of taking a trip to the Holy Land Husband said, wouldn't it be fantastic to go to the Holy Land and to stand where the Ten Commandments were given to Moses on Mount Sinai? It would be breathtaking. The wife said, it would be better if we stayed home and kept them here. That's a lot of the problems in homes, is either the husband or the wife is disobedient to God. And when that happens, that, that, that creates a conflict in the marriage relationship. And so if a husband and wife will get sincerely right with God, then the closer they both get to God, 
the closer they get to each other, right? That's that old pyramid uh, illustration. You got a man, you got a woman. The only way to get closer together, uh, you could do it this way, but uh, you, you could do that in the absence of God, yes. But for a Christian, God's up at the top. God's got first place. So for a Christian, to get closer together, we, we have to both get closer to God. And the closer we get to God, the closer we get to, to each other. So if there's a problem in the marriage relationship, obviously the, the relationship suffers. And the same is true with our relationship with God. Or the teen-parent relationship. You know, one day your child wakes up and is a totally different person, it seems. And uh, it seems like you no longer speak the same language and you're not able to communicate with your teen anymore. So the relationship is hindered unless it's cared for on both sides. Dad has to care for it, mom has to care for it, and the teen has to care for the relationship as well. There will be a problem in that relationship until we learn to communicate again. And until you learn how to communicate, the relationship is stalled just like a teenager trying to learn how to drive a stick shift transmission, manual transmission. You know how that is. You don't handle the, uh, the clutch and the, and the gas right, and then the next thing you know, you stall the car. Well, guess what? Your relationship is stalled until you start to communicate Again, the same thing is true with, with our relationship with God. Our relationship with God will stall unless we communicate with God. And he wants us to communicate to him our struggles. He wants us to communicate our confession of sin in order to keep the relationship going so that he can take care of that. But sin, one sin, one sin interrupts our relationship with God. Not the practice of sin. One sin and so when that happens and you're aware of it, we confess it, and then you go on. You go on and it's cleansed. That's, that's your fellowship, folks, not your salvation. Amen. Your fellowship. So how long has it been since you really talked with God? Are you in communication with God or is your relationship stalled? Let's look at our verse again in verse 24. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. Now, just briefly, I want to say... This is the reciprocal nature of fellowship. You say, aren't you getting fancy with your words? Not really. That word reciprocal means it's back and forth. I, I've used a similar word back when I used to work construction. How many of you know that the best reciprocating saw in the world is the Milwaukee Sawzall? How many of you know that? There, there's no better, right? They just keep going and keep going and keep going. That's a reciprocating saw. Same word. The blade goes back and forth. And uh, there has to be give and take in a relationship. You abide with God. That's your fellowship. That's John's favorite word for fellowship. That's you abiding, fellowshipping with God. And God says, if you abide with me, then I'll abide in you in this relationship. It, you know, this is the ultimate form of fellowship with God. We get to experience something that, that is unlike what God's people in the Old Testament experienced. We have this fellowship with God that is, is, the, is, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and a continual walking, talking with God. It's the ultimate. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You, you can't say that about Old Testament saints, but you can about the believers today. Christ in you, the hope of glory. To break fellowship with God is therefore 
the ultimate sin against God for a believer, for a Christian. You say, how do you get that? Think about Jesus during his earthly ministry. He's, he's, he's in the Passion Week. He's, he's heading toward the cross. And on the way to the cross, he stops in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he tells his disciples to sit down here and to wait. And it's, it's late in the night. And he takes the three, the inner circle, uh, Peter, James, and John. And he brings them a little bit closer with him. And then he tells them, you sit here and you watch and you pray. And I'm going to go off here. And then he goes off by himself in, the, in, that, in that olive garden. And, 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 he, and he prays amongst that, the, those olive trees. And he gets down and he's praying to the Lord. And the Bible tells us that as he's praying, he, sw- he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Was he scared to die? No, that's not why he was crying. He wasn't afraid to die. He was crying because obedience to the Father's will meant that he had to be nailed to a cross. And then on that cross, he would become sin for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. God made his son on the cross to be sin. He became sin, embodied, and was sacrificed and punished In our place, as if he was a guilty and vile sinner. And when he became sin on the cross, it became dark in the land. And God the Father, the best way we can explain it, had to turn his back on his son. And the fellowship, for the first time ever, was broken. That's how important fellowship was to Jesus Christ. He, he said, Father, if there's any other way than, than me becoming sin and our fellowship being broken, if there's any other way, then, then let's do it. But if not, if this is the only way, not my will, but thine be done. Do you see how important fellowship was to Jesus Christ? That's why it's the greatest sin. Jesus praying earnestly that this would not happen. Dear believer... You can have fellowship with God restored right now. If you've committed this great sin, it can be restored right now, today. Uh, let me show you. First John chapter 1. Now, before you say, we've seen this, we've heard it. I want to try to just say a couple of things about it that might be comforting to you and helpful. First John chapter 1 and verse 7. Fellowship can be restored today. In verse 7, John writes, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, what's the light? A moral, holy, upright life. Goodness. uh, Free of sin. We have fellowship one with another. That's Christian fellowship with other believers. And... The blood of Jesus Christ, the benefit of walking in the light, is that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from how much sin? All sin. So that's the promise. If I walk in the light, I'll explain maybe in in better detail what that means to walk in the light. 
If I walk in the light, I have this promise that all sin, all sin in my life is cleansed constantly. Now, my sins were judged at Calvary. Legally, judicially, I cannot be condemned, judged for my sin. I have passed from death unto life. I will not get the death penalty for my sins, even though I deserve it. So, I'm not talking about the legal situation of justification and being imputed with the righteousness of Christ. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our fellowship, that God cannot fellowship with a disobedient believer. He won't. So as I'm walking through this life, if I walk in the light, God will cleanse me from all sin. Not just the sin that I know about and I confess. That's what it means to walk in the light. As you sin and you realize it, you confess it to God and you say, God, help me not to do that again. I know that's not pleasing to you. And I know that that hinders our relationship. That's walking in the light. And as I do that, guess what? All the other sin that I don't know about, and believe me, there's a lot. All of that is cleansed. Everything that's offensive to God is cleansed. So that when he looks at you, he's literally looking. uh, Literally is not the right word. When he looks at you, he is looking through the blood. Spiritually, that's how you stand before him. He's looking through the blood. And he sees you as clean. And he can have fellowship with you. Do you ever think about that? How can God have fellowship daily with a sinner like me? You know, this is how. So he'll cleanse us from all sin that we don't even know about. And then verse 9, if God, you know, if God showed us all our sin, it would be overwhelming. It really would. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, all right, that's the condition. The, the if is a conditional word. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. God is always faithful And God is just. He's right in doing it. How can God forgive a guilty sinner over and over and over again and keep fellowship with him? He's just because he took care of it at Calvary. God paid for it. And uh, God can do what he wants to do. He's just to forgive us our sins, plural, and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. So if, listen, if you're walking in the light and you realize I've sinned, I lost my temper and I, and I flew off the handle at my family, or I, I, I lied here in this transaction and I wasn't totally honest and I was kind of manipulating people where I was trying to make myself look better. Listen, that's, that's a sin. Or I, I was unfaithful in a, in a certain situation. I, I looked at someone and, and, then, and then I looked back again with a look of lust. And so Jesus said that I've committed adultery in my heart. I'm an adulterer because of my lustful eyes. Or I have just completely lost it on a brother in Christ. And, uh, and Jesus said that if I'm, if I'm hateful, that hatred toward a brother is, is the same thing as murder. He said that. He judges, judges the heart. So listen, if I'm guilty of hatred towards another Christian, and those things happen, if I confess that, I say, God, help me, it's not right, it's not okay, then God says, I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a wonderful promise. How long does it take to get that done? Just a matter of seconds. Just a, a sincere time alone with God, just a... Pull, pull aside and get alone with God and get the thing settled. 
get it settled. You know, I, I hope that you come to church that way, prepared to worship, prepared to hear from God's word. But listen, you can get restored right now, and you can have assurance that if you confess the sins that you know about, you can have assurance that you're cleansed from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. You know, sometimes, uh, until I grew, until I started to really trust the promises of God's word, I would, it seems like I would get down to pray, and, and it wasn't worship uh, coming up from my heart to God. It was self-condemning thoughts. God, I'm just never going to get it together. You're so holy, and I'm, and I'm not. And every time I prayed, I would just, just talk about me and how <laughs> unworthy I felt. And then I got a hold of the truth. And I don't deserve it. I know it. I don't deserve it. But God says, I am faithful and I'm just to forgive you. Because if not, you would be overwhelmed and you could never serve me. And we couldn't have the relationship that I want to have. It's mercy. It is. And it's grace. It's undeserved favor. God's good to me and I don't deserve it. And he's good to every one of us who are saved, enjoying this same these same promises. So secondly and lastly, not only does God have fellowship with obedient believers, but this is the first time in in chapter 3 and verse 24 that John mentions or introduces the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. This is his first reference to the Holy Spirit in this letter. Verse 24 the second half, really, but I'll begin reading at the beginning. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by how? The Spirit which he hath given us. How can I know that I'm really abiding in him and that, and that God is abiding in me? How can I know that? By the Spirit alone, not by our own works or our own goodness, It is by the Spirit that God reveals to us that he truly and really does live within us. So this is actually the first of six clear references to the Holy Spirit in the uh, rest of the letter. But I'd like to say about this mention of the Holy Spirit that if you're saved, then you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. I know that's basic, but we need to cover it. Paul wrote, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his, Romans 8, 9. Secondly, I'd like to say that he sets up residence in you. He comes to stay and and he won't leave. According to John 14, 23, God makes himself at home. But listen, there's a difference between the Holy Spirit taking up residence in me and the Holy Spirit feeling at home. Can I get an amen there? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You ever been in a house and you know you're staying there for a little while and, uh, and, and you ever been in a situation where you're staying there but you don't really feel at home? And then you've been in another situation where you're staying at a certain place but you feel at home. There's a difference. And the Holy Spirit feels at home In the obedient believer, the Holy Spirit can be comfortable in the obedient believer, if you'll allow me to talk about it like that. Guys, the disobedient Christian grieves the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. 
So he takes up residence in us, will not leave, but he's in, at home in, 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 in us who are obedient. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, listen to Jesus, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode. That word abode means to be at home. Make our abode. You ever say to somebody, this is my abode? <laughs> I've said that before. That means he'll be at home. Now, we don't get saved by keeping God's commandments. Jesus never said, if you keep my commandments, then the Holy Spirit will come and live in you and you'll be born again. No, he said he'll make, it will make our abode. We'll make ourselves at home. This speaks again of fellowship, not of salvation. You cannot base your assurance on keeping the commandments. Don't do it. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help this morning. If you try to base your assurance of salvation on keeping the commandments, that will only lead to despair. Because, you know, we fail God often. And we fail God daily. I don't know about you, but I do. We fail God daily. And... Um, from time to time, we struggle more than others. You can't base your assurance on that. <clears throat> you have to base your assurance on what Paul said, Romans 8. If you're uh, saved, you have the Spirit of Christ. He comes to take up residence in you, and he does not leave. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> is kind of like uh, a seal on the back of a semi in the trucking industry, if you're familiar with that. In the trucking industry... Um, Certain types of loads, when a truck is fully loaded, they shut the doors, and it's ready for the run, a plastic seal will be put around the lock that, that closes the door. And that plastic seal is supposed to remain there until the truck gets to its destination. And the, the trucker can lose his job if that plastic seal is, is damaged or altered in any way. It's very serious business. That's similar to the sealing of the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, you are sealed. And how long are you sealed for? Well, Paul says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That's until the Lord comes back to get us. Comes back in the air. One of these days, God's going to tell his son, Son, it's time to go. And Jesus is going to come riding on the clouds coming to get his bride. And until then, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You just got to believe that this morning. Let me conclude by saying this. <clears throat> if, you lack, if you lack assurance of salvation, if you say, preacher, um, that's something I really struggle with. Sometimes I wonder if, if I'm really saved at all. I wonder if maybe I lost my, my salvation. You don't lose your salvation. You don't need to get resaved again. You get saved one time, and when you're saved, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Even if you grieve Him, you're sealed until the day of redemption. But let me tell you how to deal with it. How to deal with it. The Holy Spirit alone can confirm it to us. Romans 8.16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You're probably saying, what does it mean to bear witness? How will the Spirit of God bear witness with my spirit? Well, 
the first thing I want to say again, I want to repeat it. Only the Holy Spirit can give you assurance of salvation. So it's not your works that will lead to despair. Secondly, the Spirit indwelling us happens as a result of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit comes in to stay the moment that we believe. So it is belief, not obedience, that causes the Holy Spirit to come in and to take up residence. Um, Can we look at a a verse or two as we close in in John's Gospel? Uh, John chapter... 10, let's go there, John 10, and just look at the words of Jesus. So, only the Holy Spirit can do it. The Holy Spirit comes in to take up residence and will not leave at the moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. And... I just want to read what the Word of God says here before I go on. John 10, in John 10 and verse 27. Well, verse 26. Jesus is saying to these people who opposed his public ministry and would not believe on him. He says, but ye believe not because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. If you're not of the Lord's sheep, that makes you one of the devil's goats, right? Then he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's a complete statement. And then he says, what do I do for those who are my sheep? I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Listen, if there was a time when you heard the gospel call, and you heard about Jesus, and you said, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, and you... You took God up on his offer. You received eternal life. And the very fact that you heard his voice and had a desire to follow him, that fact alone means that, yes, you you belong to him. He's dealt with you. And, And you just have to take him at his word. What did he give you? Eternal life. Now, did that happen? There are people who say this, and it's a twisting of the scriptures. They say, They say, you're wrong. He gives eternal life to those who follow him. No, that's a twisting of scripture. He gives eternal life to his sheep. And Jesus said, you know how you know which ones are my sheep? Because they're following me. That's what he's saying to his enemies. My sheep are following me. You're not. You're either a wolf or you're one of the devil's goats. And Jesus says, my sheep follow me. He's looking at what God has done and dealing with his, the people that are opposing him, his enemies. And he says, I give to my sheep eternal life. And here you can see it a little bit clearer. 
it's a, it's a false teaching to say that only those who follow Jesus get eternal life. Yes, you're going to follow Jesus, but look at chapter 6, verse 47. But eternal life comes through one condition, as we've been trying to say. One condition. So John chapter 6, verse 47. It's conditioned on what you believe. John chapter 6, verse 47. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Period. You see? Period. So don't try to twist Jesus' words. If you believe on me, you have everlasting life. Jesus was talking, we, we studied this in Sunday school. He had gotten to Jerusalem for the first time. He was in the second year of his ministry, and the Jews already wanted to kill him. They wanted to murder him because he did a, a work on the Sabbath day, and he said, the reason why I could do that work and heal that man on the Sabbath day is because I am the Son of God. My Father works. I work too. God is not bound by the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for man. God can work whenever he wants to work, is what Jesus was saying. And they said, you're a blasphemer. You make yourself equal with God as the Son of God. And they wanted to kill him. But listen, Jesus said, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. John 5, 24. They heard his words. All those Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, they heard his words. So did they get everlasting life? No. Because Jesus said, you've got to do something with my words. You've got to hear about me. And then, he that heareth my words and believeth, believeth. The, the problem was is that they didn't believe that Jesus was their Messiah. And there's a lot of people who hear God's words today, but they don't believe. You say, what do you mean? I, I'm, I'm trying to tell you this, and, and, and I'm, I know I sound like a broken record. But if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God... That means he's, he's, he came from God. And, and you believe that he died for your sins, was buried, rose again the third day. If he rose again the third day, that means he was everything that he claimed to be. You believe that. You can't stop there. You have to believe that he alone has the power to forgive your sins. All of them. He alone can forgive your sins, can take care of them. And that he has the power, as the Son of God, to give you eternal life. Now, if you believe that today, you're saved. You have everlasting life. It starts the moment you believe. The moment that you believe. It does not start when you start to get serious about following Jesus. That's discipleship. That's your fellowship relationship. You have, sal- you have eternal life. I mean... John 3.16, we really don't have to go any farther than that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word should, it means will. It's a good word. They should not perish if they believe in him. He's saying it's a certainty. If you believe in him, you will have everlasting life. And then he goes on to say that, God sent not his son into this world to condemn the world. 
He's not, he didn't come to condemn. He just said, if you'll believe on me. And he said to the Pharisees, wringing his hands, you believe not on me. And therefore you're of your father, the devil, and you'll die in your sins. I mean, he was clear. He said, you will die in your sins. Why? Because they wouldn't believe on him. That's all he wants. If you believe on him, you have everlasting life. Now, like I said, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can confirm this to your heart. When he comes into you, he takes up residence permanently. And thirdly, you'll know because when you sin, the Holy Spirit will prick your conscience. Things that never used to bother you, like if you go back to them, which often occurs, you go back to those things, and all of a sudden now it bothers you. And you're like, this never used to bother me. Never used to bother me at all, man. I had a good time. I had a good time getting together with other people who did these things. Uh, the only thing I ever regretted is I spent too much money, you know, or maybe it's holding me back from accomplishing what I want to accomplish or something like that. But now when I do this, just the slightest turn toward that, it bothers me. That's the Holy Spirit pricking your conscience. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. And um, you know he's there. And, and listen, it's, it's a situation where he's God. God can do this. And you just pray and you say, Lord, I, I doubt my salvation. And if, if I was really saved, I, w- I wouldn't have done these things. Yeah, yeah, saved people can do those things. But you just say, Holy Spirit, would you confirm to my heart that I am truly saved? Would you assure my heart? Would you bear witness with my spirit and show me that I am truly a child of God and he will do it? He did it for me. I doubted my salvation after turning away from God in my heart and just kind of, just kind of, I was just kind of a, an average Christian, kind of a, out at the, you know, living in the world and then going to church on Sunday morning, maybe a couple of Sundays a month or maybe every once in a while. I was just like a lot of people not serious about living for the Lord. And I wondered, am I even saved? And, and I said, Holy Spirit, would you confirm? And he did. He did. This is what you do. Draw close to God in fellowship. Remember I talked about walking in the light? Draw close to God in fellowship and ask God to give you this personal knowledge to assure your heart before him in love. And let's, let's finish with these verses in 1 John chapter 3. Because, listen, if your heart condemns you, and it it can, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. That's what John said. In 1 John 3, verse 19, it says here, And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. That's what you're going to pray and ask God to do if you... If you have any trouble in this area, say, God, assure my heart. Maybe give me a verse that that really speaks to me. Verse 20, for if our heart condemn us, that means it can happen. God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. So I'm just telling you basically to obey everything that you know to obey. Not talking about salvation, talking about fellowship and having assurance. Obey everything that you know to obey. 
Seek God's face. Because the doubt comes in because of disobedience. Okay, that's just a, a truth of the spiritual life. That's where the doubt came from. Disobedience. So start obeying everything that you know to obey. Seek God's face seriously and wait on him to give you the answer. God alone can assure us whether or not we're children of God. But he doesn't make it hard. He doesn't make it hard. Would you stand to your feet this morning with me and let's bow our heads before the Lord just talk to him. And uh, a good comforting message this morning one that's necessary to hear, and um, I was so excited about coming in here and talking about First John chapter one, verse seven and verse nine. Wonderful promises. If we confess our sin, we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. You don't have to walk around with a guilt complex. Is this a license to sin? No. John said, I write these things unto you that you sin not. That's what he said in the second chapter, that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Heavenly Father, I I come before you and we as your people, we come before the throne of grace. We just tarry before you now and just giving time for your people, God, to, to talk to you and to do business with you. Lord, if there's something in our hearts that's come between us and our relationship with you, I pray, Father, that you'd point it out. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to confess it and help us not to do it again. Lord, I pray that you would assure our hearts if there's a brother or sister here that has doubted their salvation, uh, something that's common that happens, but something that you can take care of and take care of it for good. I pray, Father, that you'd help them to obey everything that they know to obey and to seek your face and, and to ask for you to assure their hearts. Lord, I pray that if there's one here today that's not saved at all, And they say, I don't have any bad conscience about my sin. I do whatever I want. It doesn't bother me. And um, I pray if there's one here today that's like that, I pray that, Father, that you'd save that soul today. God, bless your people. Bless our church here. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just for a moment, let me talk to you this morning. If you're not saved, if you're not saved today, You say, I do what I want to do, and I don't have a bad conscience about it, and I don't need to get saved right now. And Listen, you don't know that. You don't know what tomorrow might bring. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We can't brag that we have another day. Your life is short. The Bible says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. What if you die in your sins? What if you die before you've come to Christ and ask him to to forgive you and give you eternal life? Why don't you do it today? Why don't you see how exciting it is to live for the Lord? God has better plans for your life than you could ever imagine. If you need to be saved today, we're going to sing this hymn of invitation. I want you to come forward. I want you to come down here and somebody will take a Bible and we'll pray with you so you can trust Jesus Christ as Savior. What's our song today, brother?